Fukushima radiation. The problems created by that 2011 nuclear disaster have not ended, and let's face it, they never will. Now, Tokyo Electric Power Company is once more pushing to release 1,280,000 tons of radioactive tritium contaminated water from Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean, and they want to start as soon as early 2023. They're pushing hard to make us all believe that, eh, no problem here. We've been doing this kind of tainted water release for years at nuclear reactors. What are you making such a big deal out of it? But then you hear from a genuine expert on the matter, a marine biologist who tells you, The greatest volume of aggregated radioactivity, as measured in terms of terabequerels, discharged to sea from most nuclear reactors, does actually consist of tritiated water. The defense of this orthodoxy has been of huge importance to the nuclear industry. However, their claim that tritium is of low radiological significance has now been shown to be comprehensively inaccurate. But sadly, the industry refuses to adopt the outcomes of recent scientific studies, which have contradicted pretty much every aspect of the official position. Well, yet again, the nuclear industry is trying to get away with long-distance slow-motion murder. And yet again, it takes a marine biologist who's familiar with the entire range of issues, meaning Tim Deere Jones of the UK, to let us know that if TEPCO gets away with this release of radioactive water from Fukushima, we will all be even more dangerously stuck without recourse in the middle of that awful seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, the focus is on radioactive contamination from Fukushima, both in the water and on the land. First, we hear from marine biologist Tim Deere Jones, who provides us with the real story of what Tokyo Electric Power Company's, TEPCO's, intended release of radioactive water from Fukushima will mean to the ocean environment and people, not just in the immediate future, but forever. Then we revisit the Citizens Radiation Data Map of Japan and the groundbreaking citizen science study of where the radiation from Fukushima has been found throughout the country. Today is Tuesday, December 7, 2021, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Here's this week's first feature. Tim Deere Jones is a UK-based independent marine pollution researcher and consultant. On September 15, for Nuclear Hot Seat number 534, we had him on to explain the radiological problems of dredging in the Bristol Channel between the United Kingdom and Wales. Recently, 
He gave an online presentation on what it will mean if Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, is allowed to dump 1,280,000 gallons of radioactive tritium contaminated wastewater from Fukushima out of storage tanks and into the Pacific Ocean, an act which they plan for 2023 and which is being widely condemned around the world. This presentation was recorded for and disseminated by Yosomono-Net, the worldwide anti-nuclear network of Japanese people living abroad. And our thanks to Yosomono-Net for giving permission to Nuclear Hot Seat to rebroadcast it. Here is that audio of the Tim Deere Jones presentation, which was posted on November 21st, 2021. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about the disposal of Fukushima's tritiated water. And the first thing to mention is that in the 1950s, when the nuclear industry started discharges of very large quantities of liquid radioactive waste to sea, it had no knowledge of the way radioactivity would behave in marine environments. So in the absence of any scientific data, the nuclear industry came up with a hypothesis that liquid tritium as tritiated water was of low biological significance because it had a short half-life it would dissolve into infinity once in the marine environment and it was a low activity radioactive emitter which they assumed would generate very low doses from the consumption of fish only this hypothesis quickly became fossilized as a nuclear orthodoxy despite the absence of scientific evidence to support it because the greatest volume of aggregated radioactivity, as measured in terms of terabequerels, discharged to sea from most nuclear reactors, does actually consist of tritiated water. The defense of this orthodoxy has been of huge importance to the nuclear industry. However, their claim that tritium is of low radiological significance has now been shown to be comprehensively inaccurate, but sadly the industry refuses to adopt the outcomes of recent scientific studies which have contradicted pretty much every aspect of the official position. So particularly post the 1990s, research published in peer-reviewed journals has conclusively proved that the tritium in discharged water quickly becomes incorporated into the cells of organic plant and micro-organic material in marine environments. That research has proved that organically bound tritium, or OBT, accumulates in fine sediments suspended in the water column or deposited in mudflats, especially those mudflats with a high percentage of organic material, where the OBT can be enriched in the sediment by up to 250 times greater than the concentrations found in the ambient seawater. Marine animals which consume this organic material accumulate OBT at a faster rate than those exposed only to tritiated water. As a result, organically bound tritium is far more biologically mobile through marine tube, marine food webs, than non-organically bound tritium. So organically bound tritium is most highly bioaccumulated in species near the apex of the marine consumers, such as predatory fish and sea mammals. Such species typically hold concentrations between 2,000 and 6,000 times greater than the concentrations found in the, in the ambient water. But they have been shown to reach up to 61,000 becquerels to the kilogram in some species. Organically bound tritium also has a far longer half-life within biological entities and is more persistent in the environment than triti tritium as tritiated water. So it's clear that 
organically bound tritium is of far greater dose significance than tritiated water. And it's also clear that there is significant risk of elevated human dietary doses of marine sourced tritium via seafoods and organically bound tritium. As far back as 2009, independent research published in the Journal of Environmental Radioactivity commented that nuclear industry recommendations and advice on the dosimetric significance of tritiated water was not supported by the evidence and definitely required a reconsideration. However, it's clear from the current propaganda from the pro-nuclear industry lobbyists who proposed the discharge at Fukushima that these concerns and comments have not been acted upon and the nuclear interests have not reconsidered their position or acted on the new evidence. So clearly in the context of the information I've just shared with you, there is a very high potential for seafood consumers to receive significant dietary doses of tritium in its organically bound form from the consumption of both marine plant and animal products. Independent researchers now confirm that the seafood dietary pathway, however, is not the only way that human populations may receive doses of tritium and organically bound tritium. Because it is part of the nuclear orthodoxy that tritium, as tritiated water, dissolves in seawater, the industry has failed to conduct any research on the implications of this fact. However, research on the behavior and fate of other soluble radioisotopes and those which bond to organic marine microparticles provides a powerful indication of the behavior and fate of tritium and organically bound tritium in marine and coastal environments. In the UK, studies have clearly shown repeatedly that coastal pastures washed and flooded by high tide and storm surge become heavily contaminated with soluble and organically bound bonded radioactivity. And this has been proved to deliver dietary doses of marine radioactivity through the consumption of dairy and meat products from animals reared on tide-washed pastures. Similarly, when coastal and urban industrial environments have been flooded by storm surge and high tide events, many thousands of tons of marine water and sediment containing soluble and particle incorporated radioactivity have exposed both residents and cleanup crews to significant doses via contact and inhalation pathways. Another significant tritium and organically bound tritium dose pathway clearly demonstrated by the behavior of soluble and organic particle radioactivity studied in the UK is the sea to land transfer of marine aerosols and sea spray generated in the surf zone and blown at least 10 miles inland. This mechanism is proved to deposit soluble radioactivity onto pasture grass and other crops from where it enters the agricultural food chain and delivers doses to human consumers at least 10 miles inland. Given the fact that this airborne sea spray and marine aerosols laden with soluble radioactivity is clearly shown to penetrate up to 10 miles into the terrestrial coastal zone, it appears inevitable that coastal zone populations will also be exposed to inhalation doses of airborne radioactivity. Under conditions of prevailing onshore winds on the UK Atlantic coast, this sea spray and marine aerosol sea to land pathway has been estimated to operate for over 50% of the year. And it seems quite likely that on the Honshu coast, the Honshu coast of the Pacific Ocean, that similar uh, mechanisms will prevail. 
So much PR has been given to the TEPCO claims that other radionuclides have been filtered out of the stored water. But this has failed to point out that the process cannot remove all of the other radionuclides. There is a broad consensus amongst independent workers that the water will still contain detectable quantities of strontium-90, cobalt-60, iodine-129, ruthenium-106, cesium-137, and carbon-14, and that around 70% of the water still requires additional cleaning. This should not be forgotten when discussing the proposal to sea dump the stored tritiated water. As an example of the impact of sea to land transfer mechanisms, uh, we can look at a review of a study carried out in the UK coastal zone between 1979 and 1985 when a medical team composed of GPs, a hospital medical consultant, a senior hospital medical registrar, and a medical statistician carried out research on the body concentration of cesium-137 in subjects from the islands of North Uist off the west coast of Scotland. Now, North Uist is approximately 250 kilometers downstream of the Sellafield reprocessor site. Sea discharge radioactive wastes are discharged from Sellafield and transported through the Hebridean Island group and pass North Uist by a strong northward flowing current. The research on the island made use of whole body analysis at the Scottish University's Research Reactor Centre and 96 hour gamma counting analysis of subjects urine and dietary intake, including island grown milk, lamb, fish, seaweed, vegetables, pasture grass and wild vegetation. This is the only dietary dose assessment study which I have ever come across where such a wealth of actual empirical data has been deployed. Almost all of these studies that I've seen are based on largely hypothetical model data using a less effective 15-hour gamma count. The research on, on the island of North Uist found that the island environment from the rich coastal farmlands through to the uncultivated moorland of the interior was contaminated with cesium-137. Cesium-137 was found in island seaweeds used as fertilizer and animal feed and in wild foods such as venison and mushrooms and in the island peat used for domestic fuel. Cesium-137 was found in all samples analyzed. Foodstuff concentrations were higher in island-grown foodstuffs than in their mainland equivalents. The radiological fingerprint ratio of cesium-137 to cesium-134 clearly implicated the Sellafield sea discharge as a source of the one cesium that was being found. And the cesium was clearly transferred from the sea to land via the range of mechanisms that I discussed earlier. It was found that the, ce the cesium concentrations in Ireland urine was six times higher than in the mainland controls and the islanders had five times higher body concentrations of cesium-137 um, uh, than the mainland control subjects. It was found that the islander with the highest body concentration of Sellafield C-derived cesium-137 ate no fish or seafood, but lived within 50 meters of the coast and farmed sheep and dairy and beef cattle with access to coastal grassland, inland grassland and the shoreline. Ireland, who's, who consumed greater amounts of island-grown produce, were shown to have higher body concentrations of Sellafield-derived cesium-137 than those who consumed greater amounts of imported shop food. 
half of the 30 local coastal critical groups living next to UK nuclear sites with liquid radioactive discharges and receiving doses of multiple nucleides from usually usually calculated for seven or more received dietary doses from seafood lower than 10 microsieverts. By comparison, the average islander in the, in the North US study exposure to marine sourced dietary cesium alone via terrestrial foodstuffs was 13.7 microsieverts per year. So I think that kind of comparison gives you an idea of how serious and important the sea to land transfer mechanisms can be in, in terms of dose. Right, so there's the background to the discharges. Uh, let's have a look at the actual parameters that control the movement of any radioactivity discharge from Fukushima. So the major influence there is the Oyoshio current. This Oyoshio is a strong, coherent, southward flowing current carrying polar water close inshore along the entire 250 kilometer length of the Pacific coast of Honshu. It's highly relevant in the context of the organic bonding of tritium to note that the Oyoshio current is rich in organic material. In general, the Honshu coast to the south of Fukushima consists of a narrow coastal plain backed by higher ground from which a number of rivers carrying yet more in, more organically rich sediment flow east into the Pacific to join the Oyashio. Where it's not urban or industrialized, significant areas of the coastal zone are agricultural. So urbanization of almost all of the river deltas along that coastline with extensive land reclamation and port development mean that many of those rivers no longer have recognizable delta systems and shoreline fine sediment deposits like mudflats and salt marshes. The unbroken broken nature of this coast with few sheltered low energy environments where fine sediments can be deposited also means that as a result of these factors, the coherent and southward moving Oyashio current carries very high levels of mineral and organic fine sediments, which are unable to deposit out in the coastline environment. This means that the Oyashio is very suitable for the formation and transport of organically bound tritium. Clearly, consumers of seaweeds, fish and mammals raised in the Oyashio environment will be exposed to significant and detectable dietary doses of both tritiated water and organically bound tritium. In addition, during periods of onshore wind and enhanced wave activity, the Honshu coasts downstream and south of Fukushima will also be subject to sea to land transfer of tritium as both tritiated water and OBT in aerosols and sea spray and in episodes of coastal flooding. Prolonged periods of onshore wind are a strong feature of the annual meteorological cycle and the east coast of Honshu, as everybody will know, is a victim of numerous tropical cyclonic storms. I have no idea of the data on the percentage of the year in which relevant onshore spins speed uh, onshore onshore wind speeds with uh, speeds in excess of 10 kilometers per hour will blow onto this coast but since these are prevailing winds i would expect the percentage to be pretty high so such sea to land transfer of marine sea sprays and aerosols will deliver both dietary and inhalation doses to coastal zone populations at least 10 miles inland from the Honshu coast via the mechanisms discussed earlier. 
Pacific coast of Honshu is subject to frequent coastal flooding events, which can impact both agricultural and urban areas. And this parameter will also gener generate dietary contact and inhalation doses of tritiated water and OBT. And of course, the other radionuclides which haven't been scrubbed out of that water. In the context of the evidence summarized above, I can confirm that the release of the massive quantities of Fukushima stored water has the potential to deliver significant and major inhalation and dietary doses to Honshu coastal zone populations. These populations have already been in receipt of earlier post-meltdown Fukushima doses from the marine environment, and the proposed release of the stored liquids will only exacerbate this plight. It is a fact that Japanese and nuclear authorities have have not researched the historical impacts on these on Honshu distant coastal communities and their environments. And this strongly implies that they will not conduct any such investigations after dumping the tritiated water as proposed. These groups along the Honshu coast have already been abandoned by nuclear science, and it seems highly likely that they will soon be sacrificial victims to the nuclear industry's need and desire to get rid of Fukushima's millions of gallons of tritiated water. Thank you for listening. That was UK-based independent marine pollution researcher and consultant Tim Deer Jones. We'll have a link up to the video of this presentation, which was done for Yosomono-net, on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 546. Among the ongoing international response, South Korea on Friday, November 28th, expressed concerns over Japan's assessment report about this planned radioactive water release from Fukushima Daiichi into the Pacific Ocean. The Korean government voiced regret that Japan has unveiled a report based on the premise that it will release the radioactive water. The South Korean government said, We also express concerns over uncertainty about the impact on humans and the environment that the discharge will have. Chinese scientists have mapped out the potential global effects of the Fukushima discharge, suggesting that the contaminated water, if poured forth as planned, may sprawl onto the entire Pacific Ocean within 10 years. And note that the Pacific Ocean is not a separate entity unto itself. We don't have seven seas. We have one body of water with seven different basins. So we're talking about the entire oceanic environment of the planet. Researchers from China's Tsinghua University found that the radioactive pollutants could affect China's coast as soon as 240 days, eight months after the discharge. The polluted water would spread to almost the entire North Pacific region within 1,200 days, that's close to three years, before spreading southward to the South Pacific Ocean and the India Ocean. The nuclear elements would also eventually cause concern in North America noticeably polluting the west coast of the United States after 2,400 days, meaning six and two-thirds years. The Mothers in Iwaki, a city within Fukushima Prefecture that was deeply affected by the 2011 nuclear disaster, held a rally on November 13 entitled, No Dumping of Contaminated Water into the Pacific Ocean, Rally to Protect the Ocean and Life. They posted a short and very moving video of their event, and we will have a link to it up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 546. And here in the U.S., 
There are tritium-contaminated water releases planned that are of more immediate impact. In Massachusetts, just this week, Holtec, the company that is decommissioning the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station at the foot of Cape Cod, told the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, didn't ask, told that it plans to start discharging radioactive water from the plant into Cape Cod Bay sometime within the first three months of 2022. Just one week earlier, a Holtec spokesperson said that there were other options, including evaporating the million gallons of water from the spent fuel pool and the reactor vessel and other plant components, or trucking it to the Idaho National Labs in Idaho. But nah, the Atlantic Ocean is right there, it's cheaper, and it's faster. U.S. Representative William Keating, a Democrat from Massachusetts, said, It's troubling that within a couple of days, it turned, meaning the release of the radioactive water into the ocean, into a sure thing. And Diane Turco, director of Cape Downwinders, a citizen watchdog group, said, Dumping into Cape Cod Bay just highlights the fact that the NRC and Holtec don't have a solution for what to do with nuclear waste. Contaminating our environment is part of the nuclear nightmare process, and that is immoral. To which Tim Deer Jones added, This is pretty damn scary stuff. Citizens of Cape Cod coastal communities should be pretty mad over this. It's clear from our work in UK waters that such radioactivity does not dilute and disperse, but actually reconcentrates via bioaccumulation, bioconcentration, and other factors, and transfers from the sea to the land in marine sea spray, marine aerosols penetrating many miles inland, and coastal flooding episodes that affect coastal agriculture land and urban settlements. As a result, coastal communities can receive significant dietary doses of marine radioactivity via coastal zone foodstuffs, contact doses from radioactivity deposited on coastal zone surfaces, and inhalation doses from coastal zone airstreams. We're talking about Cape Cod here. Tim Deer Jones goes on, cooling pond water is particularly dangerous as the irradiated fuel elements fresh from the reactor may be stored in them for many years, corroding in the process and creating millions of microparticles of hot fuel, which may spread easily through the marine environment. I repeat his opening comment, this is pretty damned scary stuff. We'll have the second of this week's two features on radiation in Japan in just a moment, but first, I was recently asked why Nuclear Hot Seat does not do the usual hammering away at our distribution list for donations on Giving Tuesday, Cyber Monday, and the like. The reason? I know I don't like getting hit over the head with repeated email requests, even by groups I esteem and regularly consult with for content. I do give modest donations when and where I can, which is not necessarily this time of year, all in the hope that it will do some good. In the same way, I trust that those of you who have come to value the information of Nuclear Hot Seat will do the same. Donate if, when, and as much as you can. You know what this show offers. I don't have to hit you over the head with it. If you're listening, you know. And you also know that it is your support that keeps us going. Why donate? Sane people who are opposed to nuclear on any level know that they need to know the oft-suppressed facts 
in order to take meaningful steps to stop the industry's worst impulses and actions before it's too late. Nuclear Hot Seat tries to provide that information every week, giving you the nuclear story you don't find on mainstream media. And that is why, not going to hit you over the head here, just making a suggestion. Go celebrate whatever holiday you're celebrating with a donation to help keep Nuclear Hot Seat going. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red donate button. You can give a donation of any size or become a sustaining supporter of Nuclear Hot Seat with a donation of as little as $5 a month. Same as a cup of coffee and a nice tip here in the U.S. Please do what you can now or soon. And as I say every week, know that however much you can help, I am deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Here is this week's second feature on radiation in Japan. Mare Inoue is a co-founding member of the Manhattan Project for a Nuclear-Free World and one of the team that translated the Citizens Radiation Data Map of Japan into English. As you will hear, this study tracked Fukushima radiation throughout Japan, with results so remarkable that the Japanese language book they published received a major award from a journalism association, something no non-journalist written book has ever before received. In this interview from Nuclear Hot Seat number 435 of October 19, 2019, the study is revealed as being scientific, thorough, and respected by scientists around the world. And after this interview, we'll give you updated information on how you can access the study in three languages. Let's start out with a little background on the Citizens Radiation Data Mapping Project. How did it get started and when did it get started? After the Fukushima disaster, uh, Japanese government continued to lie to the local people. Uh, they failed to provide the accurate information in terms of the radiation fallouts. They provided only limited food measurements or soil measurements in terms of radioactivity. So local people, people who are affected by the fallouts, not just in Fukushima prefectures, but neighboring prefectures, started to worry about the food that they are eating, about the streets that children play, or the wild grass they pick from uh, mountains. So more and more, there was a movement which started mainly by mothers who were worried about the lives of their children, health and lives of their children. They wanted to make sure that they are feeding the right, less contaminated food for their children. So after the Fukushima disaster, uh, many independent citizens operated radioactivity measurement laboratories were uh, established across Japan. Mothers, parents, grandparents who worried about children's health, they started asking questions like whether the food is safe, whether the soil is contaminated. And these laboratories started to measure the food in an effort to detect radioactive contamination. Now there are 30 citizens-operated radioactive measurement laboratories that are directly connected with the Minano Data site, which is the uh, organization that self-published Citizens Radiation Data Map of Japan. What they did was that initially these laboratories were decentralized. These laboratories were set up in different communities 
were they in contact with each other before they set up, or this just all happened independent of each other? All happened independently. Sometime in September 2013, Minano data site was established in an effort to integrate all the radioactivity measurement data into a common platform online so that there will be one website where they can share accurate information on food contamination or soil contamination from different communities. So Minano data site was established in order to centralize the information so that people can go to this one platform on the website to see what's going on. After this organization, Minano Data Site was established, which is a collection of dozens of citizen-operated radioactivity measurement laboratories, they started this soil measurement project in October 2014 until September 2017. So that's like a three-year period. They started to collect data from different communities, 3,400 soil samples, were collected by more than 4,000 people. And what was amazing is that they used a unified standard in collecting soil samples so that they can improve the accuracy of the data so that they can compare with the data from different communities. In the beginning, everyone was measuring in the different methods and they thought that uh, they need to standardize measurement standards so that they can compare among each other. So Minano Data Site came up with this idea with the support from scientists. They use this method so that other communities can use this method in order to collect the samples, soil samples. So they conducted uh, seminars, more than 100 seminars across Japan they even made this like comic book kind of booklet to explain what kind of steps people need to go through in order to accurately collect soil samples so that they can practice in a certain way and send it to the laboratories for the analyzation. How much do people pay to get this soil analyzed? In the beginning, these laboratories did for free. I think recently, sometimes starting from 2017, they are charging about 2,000 yen, which is less than like $18 US dollars. So it's a nominal fee. And who comes up with the money to support this? Do the various groups, is this coming from individuals? These uh, citizens operated radioactivity measurement laboratories have to have this very special device so that they can measure radioactivity in food and soil. And it's different from Geiger counters. It's quite expensive device. So people ask for donations, or sometimes people chipped in from their savings or through donations from community members. They purchased uh, these device and operated this kind of amazing laboratory operated by citizens. It's an astonishing process to realize that regular citizens, mothers, parents who are concerned, 
have been out in Japan in over a three-year period of time taking these samples in such a scientific way that you're getting an accurate map of what the radiation is throughout this region. How far away from Fukushima were the samples taken? How many areas were covered? And what are some of the findings that came out? This English edition, which was published in September, was based on the Japanese edition, which was published in November 2018. The original Japanese one has 200 pages, and it shows the contamination map of 17 prefectures. So Japan has 48 prefectures. So 17 prefectures in East Japan shows almost like one-third of the main island of Japan. So not just Fukushima prefectures or Miyagi prefectures or um, Tochigi prefectures, but it shows the contamination map. Uh, soil samples were collected from Kanaga prefecture, even in Tokyo. Most of the East Japan were covered. What are the findings? You said before that the Japanese government's announcements about radiation findings could not be trusted. What has been found in this three-year study, and how different is it from what the Japanese government has been putting out? The reason why they started this soil measurement project was simply because government didn't do the soil measurement project. They didn't do that at all? They did only in limited location in Fukushima Prefecture and selected locations, but that's it. As you know, that a radiation fallout affected not only Fukushima prefectures, but other prefectures, including Tokyo, which was downside of the wind. People were worried about the soil contamination in those prefectures. And what the Japanese government did after Fukushima disaster was that they measured soil contamination using plane and from 150 to 300 yards above ground, and they estimated the soil contamination, which is just an estimate. And they didn't even take soil samples from neighboring prefectures to let local communities know how contaminated their communities are. That's insane. But of course, it's in the government's interest to hide this and normalize it as much as possible, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yes. So local people are outraged because more and more they started, those mothers, some of them, they don't have a college degree or science background. They started to do some research and found out that some countries from the Soviet Union conducted soil measurements after the Chernobyl disaster. Like, for example, in Russia and Belarus, they issued this radiation atlas which shows the estimate of radiation contamination decades after the disaster. So they also enacted this Chernobyl law, uh, which is known as uh, social protection of citizens exposed to radiation due to the disaster of Chernobyl nuclear power plant. And according to this law, which was enacted about five years after the Chernobyl disaster, they uh, designated evacuation zone, and they recognized right to evacuate based on the soil measurement. So government, these governments conducted soil measurement when Japanese government didn't after the Fukushima disaster. 
So that was a piece of information that people in Japan were frustrated when former Soviet countries did better job in terms of enacting, codifying some social protection for affected people. Looking at the map, which is both on the cover of the English language booklet and also there's a a clean version inside that doesn't have the writing over it, what's shocking is how many areas that have been tested are showing extremely high levels of radiation. You can tell by the colors of the dots from the various places where the radiation has been tested and that some of the strongest radiation shows many, many miles away, I would say hundreds of miles away from Fukushima itself. Was that surprising? Was that expected? And exactly how dangerous is that? Tokyo is about 200 miles away from Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. It is like a distance from New York City to D.C. So it's not like thousands of miles away from Fukushima Daiichi. But these maps shows something that Japanese government could not provide. And also the map shows that Japanese media could not report on this type of investigation. So I think it's so significant and inspiring that local citizens collective collectively able to create this contamination map when Japanese government continue to lie and downplay the consequences of the Fukushima disaster and the Japanese media fail to provide investigative journalism by sending their people to investigate on this kind of information. What we see from this booklet is amazing. How is this information being disseminated in Japan. You say that it's a book of more than 200 pages. How has it gotten out and has it gotten out to the general public? Yes. Initially, they started collecting donations through crowdfunding. Before they started this soil measurement project, they had this atlas that the Soviet Union countries created was something that they wanted to do. So they were able to gather, I believe, that a fifty to 60,000 U.S. dollars worth of crowdfunding in Japan. And um, they published Japanese booklet, all colors, all pages are in color, 200 pages. And it was published in November 2018. Initially, they were hoping that maybe 2,000 copies will be sold. But after the book was published, they gave out some copies to those who supported the crowdfunding and people started to order because they really loved the book. So in two months, they were able to sell more than 11,000 copies. Is it available in bookstores or only online? It's available in selected locations in Japan, in bookstores and also online stores, including Amazon Japan. But unfortunately, They don't sell outside Japan. How is the English language booklet, which is admittedly much shorter, it's about 16 pages. How is that being made available to English readers? 
So what happened was that Rachel Clark, who is one of the core members of Manhattan Project for Nuclear Free World, she reached out to Minano Data Site, the organization that collectively worked on creating the map and publishing the Japanese version. Rachel gathered a team. Rachel was a coordinator, and the translation was done by Stefan, and editing was done by Tony and Karen, and I was part of the team as an advisor. And we are happy to be able to assist in the translation process so that uh, the English booklet was published by Minano Data Site in Japan. And unfortunately, it's not published here in the U.S., but we have some copies. The booklet, even though it's a condensation from the Japanese 200-page book, in the 16 pages, you manage to get an astonishing amount of information, not only about how this came together and the groups that did it. You have a chart and photographs and an explanation of how to take these kind of soil samples. And you also print full-color maps that push out the data so we get to see not only what the contamination looked like in that three-year period of time, but also what it is projected to look like in 2020, and then 10, 20, 30, and 100 years after the disaster began on March 11, 2011. And I must admit that the intensity of the radiation that is shown, the results of this, are shocking. Were you surprised to see how the contamination was going to linger? Was that expected? And has there been any response to that set of projections? In terms of the map for uh, July 2020, I heard that a Minano data site received many inquiries from overseas about radioactive contamination at the time of the 2020 Olympics. Mm -hmm. So that's why um, they decided to have a map which shows the estimated value of radioactive cesium-137 in July 2020. And in terms of the extent of the radiation map or radioactive fallouts, I would say that the figure you see is conservative. I think the situation is a lot worse than this because the soil measurement project was done until September 2017. And I think that there were a couple of incidents after that where radiation was leaked from the crippled nuclear power plant. So this kind of incidents were not counted in the contamination map in this booklet. So I would say that uh, the figure is conservative. I think the situation is worse than the Minano data sites uh, data. Has there been any official government response to the data map and the book, or have they interfered with your work in any way? That I don't know, because I'm not the one who was part of the uh, measurement project. But I know that uh, recently there was a controversy when the Korean ruling Democratic Party issued a controversial map of some of the locations that will be hosting the Tokyo Olympics. And based on this controversial map, the Korean media said that uh, 
this was based on mean and data sites data, but actually it was not. So when this article came out from the Korean uh, media, Japanese government used this opportunity to discredit Minano data site, saying that, uh, oh, this data came from civil society and therefore it's not accurate. The Japanese government is, of course, flogging the 2020 Summer Olympic Games as a public relations tool to convince the world that everything is all right and it's safe regarding radiation from Fukushima throughout Japan. Yet, yeah. yet this study, this Citizens Radiation Data Map of Japan, absolutely contradicts that perspective. What are the implications of this study and the booklet and the book to the Olympics? We know that Prime Minister Shinzo Abe describing 2013 that the Fukushima is under control, but actually it's far from under control. Uh, we have to keep in mind that at the crippled nuclear power plant at Fukushima Daiichi is still releasing radioactivity into the air, into the groundwater, and they have this one million metric tons of contaminated water in their facilities, which they don't even know what to do. And the recent news was that uh, Olympic torch relay will start from J Village Sports Complex in Fukushima, which is just 10 miles from the crippled nuclear power plant. And J Village Sports Complex used to be the hub for decommissioning uh, process, decontamination process for the crippled power plant. So they put the uh, low-level radioactive waste to J Village until 2017. It is problematic that this site was selected as a place to start the Olympic torch relay. And also, I think more than 25 municipalities in Fukushima will be holding a torch relay event, and nine of them are within 30 miles from the plan. We also know that softball game will be held in Fukushima City one baseball game will be held in Fukushima City as well. So they'll be exposing athletes to radioactivity. That is really concerning. Have you attempted or has there been an attempt to get copies of either the book or the data map to the International Olympics Committee to let them know what the real situation is? Um, no, I don't think Minan Derasai had done that in I don't know any organizations that have done that. But I think that uh, that might be one of the options that we can do to raise awareness. One of the things that I find shocking, if not horrifying, is that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is so concerned about heat issues during the summer that the marathon that was supposed to take place in Tokyo has now changed venue to Hokkaido. And yet, they're doing nothing regarding radiation except to tell South Korea that they are overreacting. If you could say something directly to an athlete or even a spectator planning to come to Japan for the Olympics, what would that be? The Fukushima disaster is not over. It's an ongoing crisis. And we don't know which part of the communities in Tokyo or Fukushima City has hotspots. We cannot feel, we cannot taste, or we cannot see radioactivity. That makes 
us very difficult to visually show to spectators or those organizations the extent of the nuclear disaster. But this map could be a way to show that radioactive contamination from Fukushima Daiichi affected so many communities, not just Fukushima Prefecture. And I hope that this information will give you some informed, you will be able to make an informed decision based on this information. Is this radiation data map, is this a one-off or are the tests continuing and will there possibly be an updated version in the future? They are continuing this type of soil measurements and food measurements. So if you go to Minano Data Site's website, you can see not only the soil measurement data, but also more than 16,000 cases of food measurement data. And they also check the water quality from groundwater, tap water, I believe, and other environmental samples, such as ash, river, and so on. So they do more than soil measurements, and you can go to their website, but I'm not sure whether it's available in English. Is there anything else you would like to add about the Citizens Radiation Data Map of Japan and the project that brought it to fruition? Yes. This inspiring booklet uh, won multiple journalistic awards, including 2019 Japan Congress of Journalists Award, which is amazing because just regular citizen was able to achieve this kind of prestigious award which is usually given to groups or individuals with excellent journalism activities. And irony is that journalists or corporate media could have done this because they have resources, financial resources, human resources, to conduct this type of large-scale investigation, but they fail to provide information for the people. So I like to emphasize that it's not just the government, but the media after the Fukushima disaster self-regulated what they inform about radiation-related news so that people in Japan were not well-informed in terms of the extent of the Fukushima disaster. The radiation data map provides very clear instructions along with pictures and even a graph showing soil depth of how to take soil samples. Could this process of testing be used in areas such as those around the Santa Susana Field Laboratory near Los Angeles was contaminated, or the Tri-Cities area around the Hanford site, or the Savannah River site in South Carolina, or any other suspected or known to be contaminated nuclear site? I think what we see from this booklet is that something that could happen anywhere outside Japan if there is a, a nuclear disaster. Also, there are so many communities that were affected by radioactive contamination due to nuclear testing, leaks from nuclear weapon sites, contamination from nuclear power plants or waste sites, and a nuclear disaster. So we can use this inspiring initiative to start a global movement to visualize contamination level in our communities and compare with other communities. If we can all use the unified measurement method like Japanese people did. And you know, this kind of initiative could be adopted in other communities globally so that we can visually 
create a map which could have impact on educating local communities, local environmental groups, elected officials, and concerned citizens, especially when we have this amazing initiative of Green New Deal and struggle against climate crisis. People are more and more interested in learning more about solutions, and we have to tell uh, elected officials and concerned citizens that nuclear energy is not a solution to climate change. And I think that um, this kind of map could give them some visual idea as to how contaminated we are and what are we going to do with it because waste issues, contamination issue is happening everywhere globally. And of course, we will link to the various sites where you can purchase a copy of the Digest Edition in English. It's the work of the citizens who created this data map and people like yourself and Rachel Clark and the others who are on the English Language Committee who have made it available to those of us here in the United States. It's an invaluable contribution to what we know about Japan and about the spread of radiation and the ongoing risks. I just wanted to say that I'm just happy to be part of the team to make this English edition possible. And I'm very proud that Rachel Clark, Tony Sahara, Karen, and Stefan did an amazing job assisting the translation process so that now there is an English edition so that it could be translated into different languages in Europe or Africa or other continents. I think it has so much possibility and I'm just happy to be part of it. And we're happy that you were part of it too and we look forward to getting further updates from you on what is happening not only with radiation in Japan but what is happening with this report and anything we can do to help you with it, any information you want shared, we will be happy to do it and have you again on Nuclear Hot Seat. For now, thank you for being on this week's show, Mari Inouye. Thank you so much. That was Mari Inouye, co-founding member of the Manhattan Project for a Nuclear-Free World and one of the team that translated the Citizens Radiation Data Map of Japan into English. The English digital version is available on Amazon, and it's free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Residents in the U.S. may receive a booklet by first-class mail. And there is a French version that is available in the EU. We will have links to all of them up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 546. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 7, 2021. If you'd like to get Nuclear Hot Seat delivered via email every week as soon as it posts, go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow box, put in your first name and an email address, you'll get it every week. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, take a moment, go to NuclearHotSeat.com and find a way to celebrate the holidays with us. You will certainly appreciate anything you can do. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications reminding you... Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.